wench. Trollop, you black-toothed mop-rhyme firefly from hell! I've waited centuries to say that. time of year again, where the weather gets cold enough to send a chill up your spine, everything living starts to die, untold horrors start to crop up in the middle of the night, and <coughs> the Deplegue is still running around campus. Sorry if my voice sounds a little strange, I'm a little sick right now. I'm Sarah Breedlove, and this is episode 61, A Bump in the Night. The Season of Haunting is upon us. Halloween is just around the corner and I couldn't be more excited. That clip you heard at the beginning was from Hocus Pocus, my personal favorite Halloween movie and my sister's any time of the year favorite movie. I make a point to watch it every year. I have my Halloween costume all figured out, I'm volunteering at a horror film festival in about a week, and my apartment's been covered in pumpkins since September. For me, this holiday is bigger than Christmas. But I've always been curious. Where did all these traditions come from? Why is this holiday so appealing to thrill-seekers and children alike? How did it even get this big? This week's episode is all about understanding this bizarre holiday where people dress up as monsters and ghouls to beg strangers for candy and actively choose to put themselves in frightening scenarios all October long. First, a short history lesson. Let's take a step back in time, back 2,000 years ago in Celtic countries that now make up Ireland, the UK, and Northern France, where the natives would celebrate their new year between October 31st and November 1st. The new year marked the end of summer and they celebrated Samhain to bring in the winter, otherwise known as the darker half of the year. This period of time was seen as very liminal the veil between the real world and the other world was thinned, giving spirits who once walked the earth a chance to walk it again. These spirits were also believed to be protectors of livestock during the winter, so to appease them and ensure protection, the Celtic peoples would put out offerings of food and drink outside of their homes. They would also light candles and place extra plates around the dinner table to welcome these spirits back home. There would be numerous festivities that took place during Samhain, including, but not limited to, fortune-telling, bobbing for apples, and guising. Guising is where modern-day trick-or-treating may get its roots from. It entailed people going house-to-house house dressed as the souls of the dead to accept offerings. Dressing up would also protect them from being caught by the spirits, trying to take their offerings from them. In exchange for these offerings, they would sing, tell jokes, and even offer to do chores for the owners of the home. However, if they were not presented with offerings, they would threaten to cause mischief for the people who lived there. Like a lot of other things in history, Christianity did have its influence on Halloween. The name Halloween is derived from All Hallows' Eve, which is the day before All Hallows' Day. Taking place on November 1st, it is still recognized today as All Saints Day, which just so happens to fall on the same dates as Samhain. 
it is speculated that Pope Gregory IV moved it because of the Celtic influence. Others say it was a Germanic idea, although both did celebrate the dead at the beginning of winter. So it's really a toss-up. People also speculate that modern trick-or-treating came from the Christian tradition of souling, where poorer children would go door-to-door asking for soul cakes, which were specially made cakes to share with and mourn the lost Christian souls, all in exchange for praying for the dead. Usually, these soulers would offer to pray for the person's dead friends and family in exchange for these cakes. Or they would act as the spirit's representative, offering to eat the cake for the lost soul who couldn't be there themselves. The Christians, like the Celtics, also dressed up as souls of the dead while walking around on All Hallows' Eve. They believed that it was the spirit's last stab at getting back at their still-living enemies, so people would disguise themselves to avoid being preyed upon by the souls seeking revenge. Although the idea of All Hallows' Eve was marked on calendars when the Europeans first came to North America, the idea of Halloween didn't actually make its way into American culture until around the 19th century when Irish and Scottish immigrants flooded the states and brought the ideas over with them. By the time the 20th century rolled around, everyone across the country was celebrating it, no matter their religious, social, or cultural background. Today, Halloween is one of the most celebrated consumer holidays of the year, second best only to Christmas. According to the National Retail Federation, Halloween spending for 2017 is expected to reach $9.1 billion, up from last year at $8.4 billion. That's around $84 per household, making it much more affordable than Christmas is. Besides all the candy, people spend their money on all kinds of crazy things during Halloween, like haunted houses, scary movies, and grotesque costumes that you're only socially allowed to wear once a year, all for the objective of scaring others, and most importantly, yourself. That just begs the question, why? Why do people enjoy scaring themselves? What's the reason behind this odd phenomenon? Being scared in any circumstance outside of Halloween, and maybe roller coasters, is viewed as a bad thing. So why do we put ourselves through this? Sociologist Margie Kerr has spent her career investigating exactly why some people love going into places like haunted houses. It does seem counterintuitive that we would want to be scared, but uh, there are lots of things happening in our body when that fight or flight response is triggered that can feel pretty good when we're not in actual danger. So for example, our body kicks our metabolism into high gear and we're going to start burning all available sugar, turning that into energy. Um, Our body's going to start pumping endorphins. Uh, You've got dopamine, all these different neurochemicals that are related to that nice kind of feeling. And again, if you're not really running from a bear or a monster, that can be interpreted as enjoyable and feel good and feel kind of almost primal, you know, get back to your animal state. But there are a lot of other reasons too. You know, people come because Uh, it does give them a little bit of a self-confidence boost. You stressed your body, you got scared, and you're still alive. And so evolutionarily, that means you did something right. Um, So you can kind of get a sense of confidence and 
you know, maybe even a little bit of resilience out of doing these fun, safe, scary things. And the laughing that people do after they get scared, that's also completely natural. You know, you walk by a, a startling monster or, you know, an air cannon or a flash of light and our sympathetic nervous system says, oh my gosh, you know, something is, is scary and uh, sounds the alarm. But then within milliseconds, you remember, oh, I'm in a safe place. I know that these things aren't real. And that screaming turns into laughter and eventual just kind of uh, enjoyment as you continually realize you're with your friends, you know, you're not really in danger. And so it's, it's great. You can see kind of how the scream goes into laugh as you're making sense of where you are and hijacking that threat response in a positive way and making it work for you and, and feel good. So... If you're into things like jump scares, then haunted houses are definitely for you. However, I know some people who don't really take a liking to people jumping out at them for no reason. They just don't see the fun in it. They like a different type of scare. More like a creepy tale, something to wig them out mentally. Well, here to wrap up this week's episode is Hami Arain to tell you about the strangest thing to happen in broadcast history so far. Back in November of 1987, one of the creepiest broadcasts went out on television. On WTTW Channel 11, a native Chicago channel, during an airing of Doctor Who, the transmission was interrupted. Static showed on screen, which quickly transitioned into a man dressed in a rubber mask of Max Headroom. Max was a fictitious artificial intelligence robot who had his own television program in the 80s. He was prone to stuttering and having his voice change frequencies a lot. And here's how it works. I'm going to ask you four questions about the film you've just seen. Four questions. They're not difficult, but being able to count to four helps. Ready? But this broadcast was different. Good! The masked Max was a bit more unsettling than the real thing. During this hijack, the imposter giggled a lot and talked mainly gibberish. But the one phrase that stood out to the station was his apparent making fun of WGN, calling them more static. Then, a cut to the mask being held up in frame as a man holding it was being swapped by a fly swatter on his bare butt. As soon as it began, it ended. WGN tried its best to trace the source of the transmission, but failed. To this day, the hijacker is still at large. This week's episode was written and produced by myself, Sarah Breedlove, with help from Hamia Rain. If you enjoyed this spooktacular episode, be sure to give us a rating on SoundCloud and iTunes. It really helps us out. If you're looking for more content but are craving some comedy, be sure to check out Mistake and Eggs, where humor is served sunny side up. You can find that on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and the Radio DePaul app. Once again, I'm Sarah Breedlove, and thanks for listening to the Radio DePaul podcast. <laughs>